For more information about our teaching and preaching ministry, you can find us online at cornerstoneorlando.org. The following sermon has been brought to you by Cornerstone Orlando, making disciples for the glory of God. The title of our sermon this morning is Our Sober Self-Assessment. This is part two, Romans chapter 12, verses three through eight. So we're back in Romans 12 this morning, and in Romans 12, we are together considering now an application of Paul's theology of the gospel. Paul has explained the gospel to us. He's exposited the gospel in the first 11 chapters of this book, 11 chapters that we've carefully gone through now together as a church for some time. And now we're in chapter 12 where Paul begins to apply his theology of the gospel. Based upon the incalculable, immeasurable mercies of God, based upon his infinite mercy that's been poured out on us through the gospel, lavished upon us as undeserving sinners through the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ, the only reasonable or rational response on the part of one who has received such mercy is then to present the entirety of our persons, the entirety of our lives as a sacrifice of worship. That's our reasonable service. Now that service of worship is living, it's holy, it's acceptable to God when we as the people of God refuse to continue being pressed into the pattern of this evil age. When we as the people of God rather become transformed by the renewing of our minds. When we are able to discern and then to heed what is the will of God in all of our circumstances. As we might expect, that sacrificial service of worship begins with our relationship to, our service to, and our conduct in the Lord's body. That sacrifice of worship begins in the Lord's church. Now, Paul is speaking here in Romans chapter 12 with apostolic authority. In verse 3, through the grace given to him. And he's speaking, verse 3, to everyone who is among us, everyone in the church. This text applies to you. This text applies to me. How am I to conduct myself as a child of God in the household of God? This text applies to us. Paul is speaking God's own word to God's own people. Now that address, Paul's address here, first begins in verse 3 with a call to a humble and a sober self-assessment. What are you to do this morning, as you heed God's word, you, to, you are to assess yourselves. Paul says, think soberly. This should be a sober, a humble self-assessment. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're to humbly, soberly, sensibly, realistically, accurately consider the gifts and the graces that God has given to us. And we are to, with that sober self-assessment, we are to arrive at an accurate, a realistic, a sensible appraisal of those gifts and graces that God has given to us. Rather than being drunk on our own pride, right? Rather than being drunk on our own self-conceits, rather than allowing ourselves an inflated sense of our own importance, Paul admonishes us, he warns us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but rather to think soberly. Paul admonishes us to restrain our pride, to restrain our covetousness, and to think sensibly, to think responsibly. Not to take to ourselves an authority, 
a role, a function, a voice in the church that does not belong to us. We are not to exercise in the Lord's church a prerogative that is not ours to exercise. We have to think soberly. We have to think humbly. Lloyd-Jones, again, from last week. Great trouble arises in the church because of what men and women think of themselves. Quarrels, disputes, jealousies, envies, wranglings are all the result of people's wrong and conceited opinions of themselves. Look at the state of the world, for example. Lloyd-Jones invites us. Look at the state of our society. Torn, divided, factious, jealousies, envy. Look at the politicians ready to cut one another's throats at any moment. Members of the same party pretending to a loyalty that is a sham. They even reveal their duplicity more and more openly such that no one can trust one another. Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. There are others watching, waiting, and they will pounce. This is the state of the world, brothers and sisters. Let it not be the state of the church. Paul says we cannot think more highly than we ought to think. The reason given for this practical, sober-minded self-restraint is that God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. And we're to be content with that measure of faith that the Lord has dealt to us. We're to be content with the gifts that God has given us. He has given to each one of us individually a measure of faith. The basis on which we are to soberly assess our gifts and our graces is the measure of faith that God has given to us is the gifts, the graces that God has given to us. That measure of faith, that language, refers to the confidence that we are to have in the Lord that he has given those gifts and graces to us. That confidence is the fruit of that sober-minded self-assessment. In other words, we are to soberly assess the gifts and graces that God has given to us so that we can come to a confidence, so that we can come to a measure of faith in the Lord that he has given those gifts and graces to us so that we might then serve with love, might serve with boldness, might serve with confidence, not serving beyond the gifts and graces that God has given to us. So a sober self-assessment, that self-assessment leads to a confident faith in the Lord. It leads to a confidence in our service to him in the Lord's church. Now, the illustration that we use to capture the essence of what Paul is saying here is the example set by those men who are considering service in the Lord's church as elders and pastors. Someone who is going to serve in the Lord's church as an elder has to undergo this sober self-assessment. So this is an application, if you will, of Paul's point in verse three. What does it look like? It looks like this. No one, no one should assume or presume that they are called to serve the Lord's church as an elder. You can't assume that. You can't presume that. You're called to a careful, thoughtful, sober assessment. No, you should be very careful not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. We have many members in the, in the body, Paul says, but not all those members have the same function. Verse four, our gifts differ according to the grace that's been given to us. Verse six, and God is the one who gives that grace. 
And we want to be able to serve in faith. We need to be able to serve in faith. In whatever you put your hand to, you need to be able to serve the Lord in faith, with confidence in him, that he approves of what you're doing, that he will supply what you're doing, that he will bless what you're doing with fruit. Right? We need to be able to serve in faith. Therefore, the brother who is considering serving in the Lord's church as an elder should think soberly about the gifts and the grace that God has given to him. First, does he desire the work? Paul says in 1 Timothy 3 that he who desires the work of a bishop desires a good work. Does he have the desire for it? Or would he be serving under compulsion? Is he covetous for gain? Is he desiring his own personal gain? Is he desiring a reputation for himself? Is he covetous of building a name for himself? If he, de- if he desires the office as the Lord has defined it, as the work is defined, then he desires a good work. Next, is he a brother? <laughs> the Lord has not called women to serve in this office. Think soberly. Think soberly. What does the Bible say? There are many, many, many who are serving in this office today who have not undergone this sober self-assessment according to God's word. So we're not serving appropriately. Next, does he meet the qualifications? First Timothy chapter three, Titus chapter one, first Peter chapter five. Would his elders affirm his service? Would the church affirm his service, his gifts, his calling? Is there opportunity in the providence of God for him to serve in that capacity? Paul says in Romans 14, let each of these brothers be fully convinced in his own mind. What is he doing? He's going through a sober self-assessment. He's assessing the gifts and the graces that God has poured out on him. It's the fruit of that kind of sober self-assessment that protects a brother from thinking of himself more highly than he ought to think. It's that kind of sober self-assessment that protects him from presumptuously taking to himself a prerogative in the Lord's church that is not his to take. In this case, the office of an elder. It's the fruit of that kind of sober self-assessment that protects the church, frankly, from a brother serving in that capacity when he ought not. And at the conclusion, at the conclusion of that kind of sober, humble, and prayerful self-assessment, that brother can have great confidence. That brother can have great faith in the Lord that the Lord has called him, that the Lord has gifted him, that the Lord has given him the graces necessary to the work, that the Lord has given him opportunity, that the Lord does approve of his service, and that the Lord will supply his service and will bless his service. He can have a great faith in the Lord, and the Lord will strengthen him for the work through that faith, ultimately making him fruitful. And that's what that brother desires above all, is to be fruitful in that work. Paul acknowledges in verse three that God is the one who has dealt to him that measure of faith. Paul acknowledges that God is the one who has ultimately given him that faith and he has given him that faith through the means of that sober self-assessment. God is the one who provides for that level of confidence, that level of boldness, and frankly, he's going to need it. That's not the empty confidence of unrestrained pride or foolish ambition. That one will not be nagged by those doubts, have I really been called to this work? That kind of foolish pride that presumes the office or assumes to the office, that one that grasps for that kind of role in the church, 
That kind of pride is devastating in the Lord's church. It will do damage as we've seen. Paul is referring here to a wise and realistic assessment of the gifts that God has given us. And then Paul is calling us to a wise and faithful exercise of those gifts for the edification of the body with faith in him. Whatever we don't do in faith is sin. We need to be able to exercise these gifts. We need to be able to serve in the Lord's body with faith and trust in the Lord. Now, in our own experience together as a church over many years now, brothers and sisters, we've had the opportunity to see and to learn from many who have not followed Paul's instruction here in verse three. We've had the opportunity to learn from that experience in God's grace, by God's grace, in God's goodness and in his compassion to us, we've been able to learn this lesson. We cannot forget it. We have to apply this good instruction. We have to do this for the good of his church, for the good of his name, for the fruit that should abound to the glory of his name. We have to learn this lesson. Many, many have thought of themselves more highly than they ought to think. We've seen it, haven't we? Many Many have failed to think soberly or sensibly about the gifts and the graces that have been given to them. Often, brothers and sisters, in our own experience, this is the sin of men who take to themselves the prerogative of teaching or leading in the Lord's church when that prerogative has not been given to them through the means that God has appointed That means that sober self-assessment, for example, the sober self-assessment that every young man needs to go through before taking to himself the office of an elder in the Lord's church, that kind of sober self-assessment is the means that God has appointed by which someone should take to himself that kind of leadership role in the church and not aside from that means, not apart from that means. And often it's the neglect of Paul's instruction in Romans chapter 12, verse three, that leads to this particular sin and devastating damage in the Lord's church. Rather than thinking soberly, and again, that word conveying a sense of self-restraint, rather than thinking humbly, rather than restraining their own pride, they become drunk on their own self-conceits. They become drunk on their own influence drunk on an inflated sense of the importance of their own opinions and they subvert the means that God has appointed rather than following the means that God has appointed. It's a drunkenness that inevitably brings them into conflict with the Lord's established authority in the church. With texts of scripture that tell us what we are to do, right? But that's not often. It often that drunkenness or that, those self-conceits bring them into that kind of conflict with the Lord's established authority given through his word, given through authorities in the church. But it's often not before they've done real damage in the body. So in great contrast then, in great contrast, the kind of sober and self-restrained thinking that Paul is calling all of us to, every one of us to in verse three, That kind of sober, self-restrained thinking is the evidence of a transformed and renewed mind. It's evidence of a way of thinking that is opposed to the high-mindedness that reflects conformity with the patterns of this evil age. Brothers and sisters, it's in the world 
that people assert themselves in those ways. It's in the world that people press their own opinions. It's in the world that people undermine authority, rebel against established order, take for themselves prerogatives that do not belong to them. It's in the world that they do those things, and often they do that with no other basis than their own opinions of themselves. Paul gives us an example of this very error in scripture, in one place in particular, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And if you remember when we went through 2 Corinthians together as a church, we looked at this example in chapter 10. In chapter 10, in verse 12 there, and you can turn there with me if you'd like and look at that. In verse 12, the false teachers in Corinth, those who were leading astray, members of the flock after themselves, Paul says of them in verse 12, that they measure themselves by themselves. In other words, they don't measure themselves by God's standard, They're not measuring themselves by God's word. They're measuring themselves by their own opinions. Their own opinions of themselves. They measure themselves by themselves, verse 12. They compare themselves among themselves. In other words, they compare themselves not to God's word. They compare themselves not to the standards, the texts that God has appointed for these ends. They compare themselves to one another. He's doing it. I can do it too. Right? They compare themselves to one another. And then, applying the principle that he's now explaining in Romans chapter 12, Paul says this, we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. What is Paul doing there? Paul is applying to himself, those that serve with him, Paul is applying to himself the very principle that he's teaching us in Romans chapter 12, verse three. The very principle. Don't think too highly of yourselves, but think soberly. Right? Think soberly. Paul is saying, we dare not class ourselves that way. We dare not compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. We dare not act that way. Paul says, we will not boast beyond measure. We will not think too highly of ourselves. But rather, we will only boast, note there, within the limits of the sphere to which God appointed us. A sphere which Paul says especially includes you. Now, what is Paul saying? Paul essentially says, we're not drunk on our own self-importance as they are. We're not drunk on our own opinions as they are. We have thought soberly about these things and we will not boast beyond what is fitting. We will not boast beyond the gifts and the graces that God has given to us. We will not boast beyond the sphere in which we are to serve. We will not speak where God has not given us authority to speak. We will not run where God has not called us to run. We will not act in ways that God has not called us to act. And not in in refraining or restraining yourself from acting in ways that God has not called you to act. You're restraining yourself from sin from division in the Lord's body, from discord, from strife, from contention. Paul says, in that case then, we have great confidence in the Lord. Paul refers to it as boasting. And he says, we have great confidence in the Lord now in addressing you Corinthians. We will boast within the limits of the sphere to which God has appointed us, and that sphere includes you. So when we speak, Paul says, we're speaking with great confidence, with great boldness. Because Paul says, essentially, we know that the Lord himself has given us responsibility, a responsibility that includes you. You see where that leads us, right? That kind of sober assessment of the gifts and the graces that God has given to us before we run in our own conceits, that kind of sober self-assessment leads us to serving the Lord in confidence, 
leads us to a faith and a trust that God has given us that opportunity. God has given us the gifts and the graces so that we can serve him with boldness, with confidence, with joy, with hope, hope of his blessing, hope of fruit, hope of glory that abounds to his name, right? We can serve him in hope. And Paul is saying that great confidence he has because he has thought of himself soberly in that way. Brothers and sisters, every single one of us here must be able to do the same thing. We have to be able to do the same thing. Doing that, going through that sober self-assessment allows you to serve with a clear conscience. Do you see? A clear conscience. With boldness, with confidence in the Lord, not in yourself, not in your own strength, not in your own wisdom. We have no wisdom of our own. We have no strength of our own. But to be able to serve in his strength, to be able to serve with faith in him for his wisdom, for his supply, for his grace. Right? That's the way we want to be able to serve. We have to be able to go through the same thing. You need to go through the same sober self-assessment and to serve him with boldness or serve him with confidence. We must arrive in, in working through this process in the way that Paul is describing here in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. We must be able to arrive at an accurate realistic, sober-minded conclusion from the word of God that we are laboring within the limits of the sphere to which he has appointed us and not beyond that sphere. Then, and only then, upon that sober self-assessment, may we have great confidence serving the Lord in that sphere. Great boldness, great faith, great hope, great joy. We can serve with the expectation of faith that God will not only approve of our efforts, but bless our efforts with fruit for the glory of his name. It's really important. Can you imagine, just as an example, right? Just as an example. I'm serving as an elder here in the Lord's church. Can you imagine, in particular, in particular, in the context of the difficulties that we face together as a church, can you imagine serving in this role, for example, if you're serving entirely in your own confidence, in your own opinion, like if, if, if your trust and your faith were not in the Lord, that you were doing what he has called you to do, or that you were doing, you were living and conducting yourself in a way that, that he would approve of, I don't know how someone could, could do it. I don't know how anyone could sleep at night doing that. How would you be able to serve? How would you be able to make it? I, I, I can't imagine. The only way that we should be able to serve in the Lord's church is with confidence in him, that what we're doing is what he approves of, that, that what we are doing, he has called us to and has supplied us for and has strengthened us for and is working through us for, right? We need to be able to serve with that kind of faith. And God has dealt to each one a measure of faith in the way that they're going to serve in the Lord's church. In that as a fruit of that sober self-assessment, we can trust him. Trust him that he will supply and bless our service to him. And we want to be able to serve him in his church uh, with that measure of faith. So, in the matter then of assessing your own gifts, gifts that you are responsible to employ in the church for the edification of the Lord's body, you have gifts that you are to employ in the Lord's church for the edification of his body. This is a, a great apologetic, if you will, for membership in the Lord's church, for high commitment to the Lord's church, for uh, service in the Lord's church. This is a, 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 a 
a point, if you will, for the importance of being invested in as a member of the Lord's church. You are given gifts and you are responsible to employ those gifts in the church for the edification of Christ's body. Every one of us must be able to serve with confidence in the Lord, with faith in the Lord. A confidence based upon a sober-minded self-assessment in accord with his word. A confidence that God has blessed, has blessed us with grace to serve him in that role. And that God would be pleased to bless our efforts for the sake of his church. That kind of faith is not possible with the mere approval of your own opinion. It's not possible. It has to come from God's word through the affirmation of his body. It's not possible apart from the character with which you serve. In other words, we're not speaking of gifts alone in this case. A speaking gift alone does not qualify you for pastoral office. You're not nervous speaking in front of people? Well, we need to make you a pastor. That's not how it works, right? That's not how it works. I was terrified when I started speaking in front of people. A speaking gift alone does not qualify you any more than a motherly instinct would mean that you are faithfully serving our kids. A motherly instinct alone does not qualify you to serve faithfully the kids in this church. You're to serve, serve the Lord uh, in faithfulness to him, with godly character, with love, with humility, with joy, with contentment. You're to obey him. You can't be living in open, unrepentant sin and believe that you are serving faithfully with your gifts in the church when that's not the case, when you're living in unrepentant sin. As the deacons in Acts 6 were described as men full of faith and the Holy Spirit and wisdom, as the deacons were described in that way, so too should you and I in service of the Lord's church be a people full of faith and Holy Spirit and wisdom. We should pursue those graces Verse three, for I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Can you see how this protects you from your pride? Right? Can you see how this protects the church from someone's pride? We need to apply this good instruction. We need to serve in this way. We should expect this of one another, brothers and sisters in the church. We should expect this of one another. And frankly, we should be um, sensitive uh, to those who may be tempted to serve in ways in which are not fitting to the gifts and graces that God has given. And we should be sensitive to those things. Verse four, because as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we then being many are one body in Christ and individually then members of one another. So in verse four now, Paul employs the metaphor of the body to illustrate our coordinated service as the people of God. As the, the body, as the human body has a hand, has a foot, has an eye, has an ear. So the body of Christ has individual parts that work together that constitute a functioning whole. And can you see how pride, that kind of individualism, those self-conceits would undermine our one body unity. Can you see how that would be the case? If all of a sudden the foot decides they're going to be the head, right? <laughs> if that's the case, we're in big trouble. We're gonna be walking on our hands and we're not gonna get very far, right? Um, 
pride, that kind of, those kinds of self-conceits will undermine the oneness of the body. Now, Paul's going to use the very same language that he uses here in 1 Corinthians 12. The many members of the one body have diverse functions. However, as Paul explains, we don't merely function in the body as parts of, or as parts that relate to our head. We function in the body as members of one another. We don't function merely in the body as members of a body. In other words, Paul says we function in the body individually as members of one another, not simply relating to our head, but relating to one another. The hand does not merely function in relationship to the head. The hand also functions in relationship to the foot. It functions in relationship to the eye, to the ear. So then, if you think about that, as each individual is placed in the body with his gifts and graces, each individual serves a unique an individual function in relationship to the body. Not simply in relationship to the head, but in relationship to everyone here. If you're a foot, you function in relationship to the hand. If you're an eye, you function in relationship to the ear. In 1 Corinthians 12, the ear cannot say to the eye, I have no need of you. The foot cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Right? We function not only in relation to the head, we function in relationship to one another. So each individual member of the body is given gifts and the grace necessary to the support of their particular function. And again, their particular function is not only or exclusively, we might say, thought of in relationship to serving the Lord as the head, it is thought of serving the Lord by serving one another. Our gifts and graces are for one another. The Lord knits us in the body in just that way. Dr. Murray distinguishes this measured gift from that gift given to Christ. Christ is full of grace and truth. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, there is no measure to the endowments that are given to the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the church, there is a distribution of gifts. And each member possesses his own measure for which there is the corresponding faith by which and within the limits of which the gift is to be exercised. You're given a gift and you're given a sphere in which that gift is to be exercised and a purpose for which that gift is to be exercised. We don't go beyond that. We don't all have the same function. We're not all given the same gifts. We're not all given the same measure of faith that is apportioned to those with gifts, but we are all called to faithfulness. We are all called to godliness. We're all called to preach the gospel. We're all called to make disciples, to give, to pray, to worship. But there is particular grace that God gives. There's also particular grace that God withholds. And he does that based upon the function that you serve in the Lord's body, the Lord's church. The grace that he gives is both essential to the fulfillment of that service, your service in the body, and it is sufficient to the fulfillment of your service in the body so that we can serve with faith, we can serve with boldness, with confidence. That diversity enriches us all. That, desert, that diversity serves all of us. And that's in the wisdom of God. For us to take upon ourselves a prerogative that does not belong to us, we're undermining the wisdom of God. We're undermining the work of his spirit in our midst. We're undermining how the Lord orchestrates this symphony that we call the church. 
We're undermining that work, do you see? That diversity is meant for our good. That diversity is meant for our blessing. That diversity is meant for us to produce fruit for his name. When we undermine that, we hinder the work of his spirit and we hinder the production of fruit. We have communion in the gifts that he has given to each one of us. So then, so then, verse six, having then gifts that differ according to the grace that he has given to us, let us use them. The translators here are gonna supply some words in the English to help us with understanding. You're gonna see those words in your text in italics. Right? Those are words that the translators have supplied to help us with understanding. But let's consider the text as it's written. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. In other words, if you've been given the gift of prophesying, don't receive the, gift, the grace of God in vain. Don't receive that gift in vain. The prophet or the apostle in the first century should exercise his gift and exercise that gift in proportion to or in consideration of the measure of faith that he's been given. If prophecy is your gift, then exercise it in proportion to your faith. Or ministry, diakonia, means serving. If serving, then serve, right? He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness or wholeheartedness. In the text, seven gifts are listed here. Those gifts are representative. They're not, that's not an exhaustive list of gifts given in the Lord's church. It's a representative list. Nine gifts are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses eight through 10. Nine gifts again are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Four gifts are listed in Ephesians chapter four. The emphasis here on the part of the apostle Paul is not on the comprehensiveness of the list. That list is myriad, right? There are manifold, manifold gifts of God's grace that he gives the church. I, I think about the, some of the ways in which you all serve. And it is a wonder, right? It's a, it's a marvel that the Lord has so particularly and so helpfully and so graciously knit you in our body in just such a way. You have particular graces that the Lord has given you. And those graces are manifold. So this is not a, a, an exhaustive list. It's a comprehensive list. The emphasis is not on the gift per se. The emphasis is on the manner in which that gift is to be employed in the life of the church. Verse six, having gifts then. Notice that that is assumed. That's assumed. Having gifts. It's not if you have a gift. <laughs> it's having gifts then. Those gifts differing according to the grace that God has given to us, that's expected. Your, your gifts are going to differ from others' gifts. It's not going to look anything like other people's gifts, right? It, that's to be expected. If we are having gifts then, those gifts differing according to the grace that God has given to us, let us use them. Use them. Put them to work. One, the use of those gifts should accord with the purpose for which they are given. If prophecy, in proportion to your faith. If ministry, then minister. <laughs> if teaching is your gift, then teach. If exhortation is your gift, then exhort, right? The gifts should be used in accord with the purpose for which they are given. Pretty clear, right? 
And two, those gifts should be in proportion to the measure of faith that God has dealt to each one. On the one hand, what does that mean, in proportion? We're to use that in proportion to our faith. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. That little, that little clause, in proportion to our faith, applies to all of the gifts. It applies to the use of every one of those gifts on the list, okay? So what does it mean that we are to use our gift or employ our gift in proportion to our faith? On the one hand, it means don't be miserly in the use of that gift. Don't be miserly. Don't, don't employ it grudgingly. Don't employ it resentfully. Whatever you put your hand to, do it with all your might. Do it in faith with all your might. If you're gifted to teach, and that gift has been, has been ascertained through a sober-minded self-assessment involving your elders, involving the affirmation of the church, then put that gift to work when you're asked to teach. Labor to employ your gift in faith and don't neglect it. Right? Paul tells Timothy, don't neglect the gift that is in you, which was given by laying hands of the eldership. Right? Don't neglect that gift. Labor in it. Cultivate it. Hone it. Study. Work. Right? Use that gift in the church when you're asked to teach. Don't think to yourself, ah, oh, he's asking me to teach again. I've got better things to do with my time than have to, do you, know, you realize that what that's going to take for me to be able to study and to have to put all that together to be able to teach? <laughs> Don't be miserly in your exercise of the gift that God has given you if that's your gift. Use it in proportion to your faith. On the other hand, on the other hand, you're not to use the gifts and the grace given to you disproportionately either. Use the gifts and graces that God has given you, gifts and graces that you've assessed through a sober-minded process, right? That sober thinking self-assessment. Use those gifts proportionately, but don't use them disproportionately either. You're not to use, you're to use those grace, those grace, those, that grace, those gifts in proportion to the measure of faith that's given, but all that points us back to that sober-minded self-assessment. The prophet, for example, in verse six, the prophet who speaks God's word is not to withhold what God has given him to speak. Speak it and speak all of it. Do not withhold, speak the full counsel of God. But the prophet who speaks God's word is not to go beyond what God has spoken either. <laughs> He's not to go beyond what God has given him to speak. He's not to speak disproportionately either. The servant, the servant should not be lazy in his service to the body. If that's your gift, then serve. Don't be lazy. If that's your gift, serve. Don't complain about it. Don't grumble. Be content. That's your gift. Employ it in the church. Employ it with joy, with delight, with hope, with faith. Every gift should be exercised within the sphere that God has appointed. Every gift should be exercised in accord with the purpose for which God has appointed it. Every gift should be exercised in proportion to an informed and sober-minded faith to the fullest extent that we can use those gifts for the glory of God. If you have confidence that the Lord has supplied you, then use it with great confidence to the fullest extent in proportion to our faith. Use that gift. Use the gifts that God has given you to the fullest extent that God has enabled you to do so. And you should labor to fan the flames of that gift you should labor to cultivate that gift, to revel in it, to take joy in it, to expand it, to grow it, to mature it, and then to employ it in the Lord's church to the fullest extent that it can be employed. In other words, to use your gift proportionately and not to use your gift disproportionately means don't underdo it. 
and don't overdo it. <laughs> don't underdo it and don't overdo it. The first gift that Paul mentions here is prophecy. Prophecy, according to the Bible, refers to communicating new revelation from God. New revelation from God. The prophet was God's mouthpiece. He was to speak a word from God to the people of God. This is new revelation. He wasn't merely preaching or explaining revelation that had already been given. That's preaching or teaching, right? He was a conduit. The prophet, the one who prophesies, was a conduit for new revelation to be given. This was a gift that was operative when Paul was speaking to the church at Rome. At the time that Paul was writing to the church at Rome, this gift was operative in the church. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, Paul points ahead to a time where, where this gift, along with tongues, along with words of knowledge, will cease from being operative in the church. And that time has come to pass. We don't see these gifts um, operative in the church any longer. We don't, see, we don't see the biblical practice of these gifts in the church today. What we see instead is a grotesque abuse of these gifts in the church today. <laughs> a grotesque caricature of these gifts in the church today. When the prophet was a mouthpiece for God, speaking the words that God gave him to speak, so-called prophets and apostles today speak a word of their own imagination. You know, they're right 1% of the time, which means they're right no percent of the time. <laughs> right? It's just a caricature, a caricature of this gift, these gifts. When the apostles healed in the New Testament in the first century, what we see today is a caricature of that. We don't see people raised from the dead. We don't see limbs restored. People have gout, you know, healed. For, you know, my headache went away. Now, we're not seeing these gifts practiced in the church today. They're not being used in the sphere that God has appointed. They're not being used for the purpose, for the purpose that God has appointed. And they're not being used in proportion to a sober-minded and an informed faith. What we see is a character, a character of that and a, an abuse of that. Here in verse six, the prophet is to employ his gift in proportion to the measure of faith that God has given, in proportion to the giftedness that God has provided, or in proportion to the enablement that God has given to him. And that governing principle of proportionality that regulates the use of his gift is intended here to regulate the use of all the gifts. That principle of proportionality should govern our use of our gift. Let each one use his gift in proportion to the ability that he's been given, in proportion to the confidence that God has given him to employ his gift in the life and ministry of the church. In other words, don't use it disproportionately. Going back to that illustration of the one who's pursuing the office of elder in the Lord's church. A young man who can literally look at his watch for the amount of experience that he's had in, the, in that office cannot presume to operate disproportionately in that office, uh, disproportionately with respect to the measure of faith that God has given. He's got to grow in that office. He has to grow in his abilities. He has to grow in his, his experience. He has to grow in his wisdom. We're not to employ our gifts disproportionately in the Lord's church. We have to be careful to a sober self-assessment. Let each one use his gift in proportion to the ability that he's been given. That's the reason that the gift has been given to you. We're to use it. That's the reason, that's the reason that you have been placed in this body. It's because of the gifts that God has given you that he intends for you to employ in this church. That's the reason that you're here. 
You could use your gifts in many places. You could use your gifts in many ways. But the Spirit of God has knit you into this body. The Spirit of God has made you a member of this church. So you're to use your gifts in this church for the benefit, for the edification of his body. To borrow a concept that Mordecai related to Esther, if you choose not to labor with your gifts for the edification of his church, then the Lord will edify his body through other means than you, and you will have received the grace of God in vain. You will have squandered the gift, or you will have squandered, to use the parable of the talents, you will have squandered that talent that the Lord has given you. Yet, who knows whether he has brought you to this church for such a time as this. (laughs) You should be employing your gifts in the Lord's church for us to be fruitful in the ministry of the Lord, fruitful in the work of the Lord. Next, the next gift that Paul specifically mentions in verse seven is literally the gift of service. The word ministry there is the Greek word from which we derive our word deacon, diakonos. It's um, a transliteration of that word. So what Paul is saying in verse seven, if you have been gifted to deke, then deke. <laughs> Paul isn't speaking exclusively here of deacons, however. In whatever way that you've been gifted to serve, then serve the church to the fullest extent of that prerogative that has been given to you by God. Serve to the fullest extent, in accord or in proportion to the confidence that you've been given to serve. If you have great confidence in the Lord, serve. Serve with confidence, serve with boldness, serve with that measure of faith, serve in proportion to your faith. Some of you may have gifts that God has given to you and with a biblically informed faith or confidence in the Lord, listen now and consider, right? You've been given gifts by God. Some of you have gifts that God has given to you and with that sober-minded self-assessment, with a biblically informed faith, with a biblically informed confidence in the Lord, you can say, you can say, I know for a fact, that God has given this gift to me. He's gifted me. I know, I, I know it. God has blessed me with this gift. I know for a fact that I am to use this gift in service to this church. I know for a fact. I know for a fact how, when, and in what manner I am to use it. He's made that clear to me. You're not being wise in your own opinion. That gift has been clearly affirmed and there is a need in the body then that brother, with that confidence in the Lord, employ that gift to the fullest extent for which it has been given. Employ it to the fullest extent possible for which it has been given. Employ it within the sphere that has been intended by God. Employ it in accord with the purpose for which it has been given. Employ it in proportion to your confidence, knowing that God has provided you with that measure of faith. Be bold. Be courageous. Be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Be filled with faith. Don't shrink back. Take steps. Talk it out. Work it out. Plan it out. And then do it. However, others others of you, you also have gifts that God has given to you. And you need to think soberly about what those gifts are. Not thinking too highly of yourself. You need to think realistically assessing the gifts, the grace that God has given to you. And you need to cultivate a confidence in those gifts. It's going to take time. You need to cultivate a confidence in how that gift might be employed in the body. You're not exactly sure quite yet, right? You need to grow. You need to mature in your understanding of how you might serve his body with your gifts, with the gifts that you've been given. Then you, brother, serve in the body, serve in the body with those gifts and serve with the gifts that you've been given, but serve in proportion to your faith. 
and pray. Pray that the Lord would grow your faith. Pray that the Lord would grow your confidence. Pray that the Lord would supply you with clarity, supply you with strength in your service. Trust that he's going to grow your confidence in the use of your gifts for the edification of his body. Trust that he's going to use you. Sometimes we don't even know how the Lord is using us, and he does. I've thought to myself, there have been, there, 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 there have been multiple times, there have been multiple times when, uh, frankly, when I'm going to have uh, a conversation with one of you, and the purpose of my conversation with one of you is to encourage you, to love you or to edify you, to spend some time with you. And I come away from that conversation thinking to myself, that was entirely for me. <laughs> because you have encouraged me. You've loved me. You've, you, you've, you've been a comfort to me. You've strengthened me. And you don't even know it. I, I, you know, I hope that I would say to you, thank you for that. You know, it's been really encouraging to me. You've been a great encouragement to me. I love you. I'm so grateful for you. Right? We, we say those things to one another. You don't even know the ways in which you necessarily serve me or serve one another. It happens all the time in the Lord's church, all the time. You go to a fellowship. You don't even know how, how precious that time is. That's why we gather together as the Lord's people on the Lord's day. Show up, be there, be present because your gifts are necessary. That edification is necessary to the growth of the body, the encouragement of the body, the comfort of the body, the joy of the body, the hope of the body, the fruit of the body. That's necessary for our service to the Lord. Show up. We're all being called to that kind of sober self-assessment in the way that we serve his church. But to borrow a phrase, uh, you can't steer a parked car. Right? So get moving. Get moving and the Lord will steer you uh, as you go. You can trust him for that. The next gift that Paul mentions in verse seven is teaching. He who's been given the gift of teaching, let him exercise that gift in teaching. Let him do so in proportion to the full confidence that may be attained through a biblical and sober-minded self-assessment. Teaching refers to instructing others in the doctrines and practices of our faith. And that by means of the exposition of the word of God, not your own opinions. And there are many, many ways in which that gift is exercised in the body. It doesn't mean only standing behind a lectern or behind a pulpit. There are many ways in which that gift is exercised within the parameters given to us in the text. Verse eight, he who exhorts, let him use that gift in exhortation. The word is para kaleo, right? To call alongside, to call alongside. It refers to exhorting, to urging, refers to support, to encouragement, to admonishment, to appeal, to implore, to entreat, to comfort, to console. The word is often translated beg. <laughs> it's used in teaching, it's used in preaching, it's used in counseling, used in private conversations. In whatever way we can come alongside a brother or sister in need, that's the way in which this word is to be employed. This is what Paul did, for example, in Acts chapter 14, verse 21. When they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them, parakaleo, to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. They encouraged the believers. Notice the generality of these gifts, right? Paul is using this list representatively. But there are many, many, many ways in which these gifts can be employed in the church. Verse eight, to he who gives with liberality. The word literally refers to sharing, to providing out of your own portion. A portion has been given to you and you feel as though you uh, should use that gift in sharing 
uh, with the work of the Lord. Paul says, let him do so liberally. That word means both generously, but it has the sense of being without pretense. There's a, there's a sense of sincerity in the word. Doing so without pretense. Doing so in a way that would not expect anything in return, right? Without pretense. Doing so in a way that would not expect for the spotlight to be placed upon you, right? Doing so without pretense. To he who gives, give with liberality. To he who leads, meaning rules or manages. Let him lead with diligence. Let him lead with zeal, with eagerness, with earnestness, as opposed to laziness or sluggardliness, right? Let him lead or manage with an excited fervency or an excited fervor to accomplish some end or to attain to some goal. We should be laboring for the Lord to attain some end or to attain some goal, namely the goal of making disciples. That's the great commission that we've been given. And to he who shows mercy, let him show mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, let him do so with joy rather than do so out of a sense of begrudging duty. In other words, ah, I guess I'll be merciful. <laughs> it goes entirely against the notion of mercy. Let him embrace the exercise of that gift to the glory of God. Let him do so with joy. To the one who would present his body a sacrifice to God, living, holy, and acceptable. To the one who has been transformed by a renewed mind that is not conformed to the patterns of this evil age, one of the tangible marks of that sacrifice, one of the observable and evident marks of that transformed mind is a sober and realistic assessment of the gifts and graces that God has given to you to be employed for the edification of his church. How am I to serve him as a living sacrifice? How am I to demonstrate that I'm no longer being conformed to the patterns of this evil age, but rather transformed by the renewing of my mind? I am to employ the gifts and the grace that he has given me in the Lord's body for the edification of his people. That's how we're to do that, right? On the basis of that sober-minded assessment, knowing that God is the one who gives those gifts, gives those graces, let us then give ourselves, give ourselves to serving him give ourselves as living sacrifices in the service of his church. Let us do so within the sphere that God has appointed. Let us do so in accord with the purpose for which God has given the gift. And let us do so with confidence and with boldness in proportion to our faith. And let us together pray that God would be pleased to bless our efforts with fruit for the good of his church and for the glory of his name. Amen. We have to commit ourselves to this. We have to commit ourselves to serving the Lord by serving his church. This is not a spectator activity. We have to commit ourselves. This is a call to high commitment in the Lord's church. High commitment. High commitment in the use of our time. High commitment in the use of our energy. High commitment in the use of our resources. High commitment in the exercises of the gifts and the graces that God has given us. High commitment. And great harm has come upon the church when this simple rule is not followed. Great harm. When men or women think too highly of themselves, great harm. When a humble, patient, sober assessment is forsaken, then an impetuous, presumptuous, 
prideful judgment will take its place. In particular, with men who covet leadership in the Lord's church, this is prevalent in particular with men who covet leadership in the Lord's church, men who covet a following for themselves. Great damage, great damage, grievous damage has been done to the Lord's church by a failure to follow Paul's instruction here in verses three through eight. We have to practice this. You and I have to insist upon a faithful biblical practice of this instruction. We have to submit ourselves to it. We have to labor in it. We have to stand opposed to those who will not, right? We have to stand opposed to those who will not practice this. For the, for the good of the Lord's church, for the preservation of his body, for the furtherance of his work, for the furtherance of his cause, for the salvation of the lost, for the fruit that abounds to his name, for the glory of his name. We have to be faithful to the instruction that Paul has given us here. And we cannot shrink back, brothers and sisters. We need to be a bold people in our exercise of these gifts. And we've talked recently about all that Gideon did through his 30. Gideon didn't do it, (laughs) right? Gideon didn't do it. Who did that? The Lord did that. The Lord did that. So that, brothers and sisters, those things don't matter. What the Lord does in his body, the Lord is capable of great feats of grace and mercy. And we are his people. We are his people. We should be highly committed with the grace and the gifts that he's lavished upon us. We should be highly committed to using those things to the fullest extent of our prerogative, to the fullest extent extent possible, and trust that he will be pleased to bless it with fruit for his own name, for his own glory, which will be exactly, exactly what we want. Amen? Let's trust him as we obey him. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for the gifts and the graces you've given us. I'm, I'm in awe, Lord, of how you have done that in this particular body, in this particular local expression of your body, how you have gifted the brothers and sisters here and how those gifts um, are, can be, should be employed in the body uh, for the edification of your body, for the furtherance of your work, for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just in awe of your infinite wisdom of your boundless grace, of your rich mercy toward us in giving us those gifts. Help us, Lord, strengthen us for the task at hand, which is to employ those gifts and graces for the furtherance of your work through the means of this church. Help us, Lord, strengthen us, give us boldness, give us confidence, give us clear direction. Lord, give us that measure of faith and Grow it, expand it within us and cause us, Lord, to serve you in a way that is proportionate to that measure that's been dealt out to us for the glory of your name, for the good of your people, for the salvation of the lost, for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ who deserves the full reward of his suffering. Help us, Lord, to serve you in these ways and protect us. Protect us from our own pride. Protect us from our own self-conceit. Protect us from thinking too highly of ourselves. Protect us from not trusting you. Help us, Lord, to serve you in faith. We love you. We thank you, Lord, that it's not left. We're not left to our own desserts. We're not left to our own strength. We're not left to our own wisdom. We have you to depend on for our own good, for your glory. We pray that we would.
Hello, and thanks for listening. My name is Mark Brashear, and I have the blessed privilege of serving with the Saints at Cornerstone Church near Orlando, Florida. We're so grateful that you've connected with us through the sermon that you've just heard. For more information, visit us at cornerstoneorlando.org. Or better yet, come and see us on the Lord's Day at 3370 Snow Hill Road in Oviedo, Florida. We're just east of Orlando and about 15 minutes from the campus at UCF. It would be a joy to have you worship with us.